There we go. Hi guys and welcome back to the Average Pundits podcast, your home for all things Premier League. We've got a very exciting episode to bring to you today. As always, I'm joined by Reese. How are you doing, Reese? Hey Joe, no, thank you for, for having me back and I'm excited to, to get this podcast underway. We have a very great guest and I'll leave you the pro introductions to do the introductions for us, Joe. <laughs> yeah, guys, we are delighted to be joined by the Manchester United correspondent for The Guardian and The Observer, Mr. Jamie Jackson. How are we doing, Jamie? Never been better, thank you. How are you? <laughs> very good, thank you. Very excited to get this underway. I'm, I'm a massive United fan. Reese is a Liverpool fan, so... You know, hopefully we can we can we can you know have some good United oh, talk to to, to, to while at the Liverpool fan base. <laughs> uh, but Jamie, as a uh, journalist for the Guardian and the Observer, you are currently well. I mean, at, at the moment with transfer the season going on, you are probably as busy as ever as a journalist. The work must never stop. But before we get this underway, I would love to uh, first kind of touch on um, what got you into the, the role as a journalist and uh, how you found a, a passion for doing what you do today. Okay, so it's a little bit of a long story, but I'll try and keep it short, but it is half interested, maybe. So I, I was doing a master's in journalism in uh, March, well, 2001 to 2002. And in February or March 2002, I had to go and do work experience as part of this master's. So I chose the Observer, obviously our, our Sunday paper. And when I went there, they were trying to get a story on a, a former Arsenal footballer called Paul Basson, who... Um, the previous summer, so this is sort of August 2001, who unfortunately passed away at the age of 39 to 40. Um, but he'd been very famous for quite a, well, a brief time because he'd, he'd come on as a substitute in the 1980 Cup Winners' Cup semi-final for Arsenal against Juventus at the old Stadio Alpia and scored the winner. Knocked Juventus out and got Arsenal to this final. He was kind of a hero. Um, you know, he had his 15 minutes of fame. But unfortunately, his career, he basically finished playing maybe two years later. And as I say, sadly, he, he died the previous August. And, they, and the reason why they were doing this story now is, or then, sorry, is because Arsenal were about to play Juventus in the Champions League you know, this, this February or March time, for the first time, I believe, in Europe since then. And they wanted to do this story of this forgotten footballer. Anyway, I'll try and keep it quick. They couldn't really find any information about what had happened to the, to the poor guy, other than unfortunately he passed away. So they gave it to me. And I thought, well... Uh, you know, this, this could be a big opportunity for me. The information's out there somewhere. So what I thought was, I thought, if he died at sort of 40 years old, it probably wasn't unless he was very unlucky natural causes. And if it wasn't natural causes, it may well have been something unfortunate, maybe like a drug overdose. And if it was a drug overdose, maybe um, to sort of, he'd been a drug addict and, and to sort of feed his habit, he might have had to sort of steal things. And if he had to steal things like shoplifting, maybe he got caught. And if he got caught, maybe being caught... And then if he was in court, because he once had this sort of fame, was a little bit well-known, maybe they did a story from the local paper, wherever he was living. Because remember, we didn't know where he was living, what he'd been doing, but you know, wherever he might have been living. And if so, if it was in the local paper, he might have had an address of where he had been living. And that would give me a start, you know, a sort of clue as to where he was, what had happened. Cut a long story short again. <laughs> I basically thought, okay. So I called all the papers, basically, in England, stroke the south of England, all the local newspapers, it took me a couple of days, and I, and I got a break, basically. This paper in a place called Cove, near Aldershot, said, I, said, I called up, told, told the, the person what I was about. And the person answered the phone said, oh yeah, I remember this guy, actually, six years before 1996, he'd been in court, basically, you know, a kind of what I just suggested. They said, I actually remember, and, and he also said, I keep all my old notebooks, so he still had 
notebooks he thought of what had happened in this court case. He said, call me back this afternoon. So I called him back. He said, oh yeah, Paul Vasson, uh, 1996, he, he, was in, he was in court uh, for shoplifting. And this is, this is where he lived at the time, six years before. So I've got the address. Remember, this is on my second week of work experience with the Observer. I walked in there pretty intimidated. You know, it's like the Observer newspaper. I was only about 29 or 30. But anyway, I went to the sports center. I said, I found this out. What do you think? And he was quite excited because they'd been trying to get this information, as I mentioned before. I haven't got anywhere. He said, why don't you take a company car, like what's called a pool car, a car that no one could drive and share, uh, down there to this address and see what you could find out. So I said, okay. So half of me was really excited. And the other half was actually quite frightened because I hadn't, even though I've got a driving license, I hadn't driven a car since I was sort of 17 or 18. I was thinking, I'm just going to crash it, getting out of the car. <laughs> well, look, anyway, I got down there, went to this address, and I basically dug up all this stuff. I, I spoke to some kids, um, sort of teenager age, maybe a little bit younger, who used to play football with, with this guy, Paul Vasson, and he used to tell the story of when he scored this goal for Arsenal. So I was starting to get the story, yeah? So I got all, all this information, quite good stuff, really. And then what I thought was, well, we've got to try and find out how, how he passed away. And I don't know if you're aware, but there's, there's like a registrar of best, births, deaths and marriages. And, you know, you can issue birth certificates, death certificates and also marriage licenses or marriage certificates, sorry. So I called up that office and the woman there, I always remember this woman said, well, yeah, we probably could find out what happened to him. It'll take three or four weeks. And we wanted to do the story for that Sunday because the game, Arsenal, the Juventus in the Champions League was the following Tuesday or Wednesday. So I basically begged her. I said, look, I know you say it takes a few weeks, but this could sort of change my life. If we get this information, you could, you know, who knows, I might get a break. I might, might lead to something big. Could you please send me it, please? I just begged her and she said, okay, okay. So she, she, she did it for me. She sent me this, this death certificate and it said on there, unfortunately, how he passed away, which is an overdose, I believe, of um, some sort of uh, tablet, sleeping tablet. But it also said where he died, which was Bristol. So basically, through doing all this, I pieced together this story. And on the, on the Sunday, that Sunday's Observer's Sport and Sports Supplement, it was the centre-page story. It was co-written by the chief sports writer, uh, a guy called Kevin Mitchell. He's still on our paper. He's now the tennis and um, boxing correspondent. And myself, he wrote it, but it was all my reporting. And that's basically, that got me noticed because the sports editor thought, oh, yeah, you know, he's got half a, half a clue of what journalism is about. And that's kind of how I got into it. And the only thing I'd add is, when it... What, what I think was lucky for me was the timing of it. But when he, when he first came to me, this guy called Brian Oliver, who I'm still very good friends with, and said, can you find this out? It's going to sound a bit stupid, but it is true. When I was a kid, and still now actually, I used to read lots of uh, detective novels. And I always thought, oh, I'd like to be a detective. You know how you do when you're a kid, that sort of thing. But I thought, oh, this is actually real life. This might lead to something. So I was almost kind of, not ready for it, but it almost sort of, appealed to my sense of adventure so that, that's, kind of, that's how I got into it basically on the basis of that story I was still doing my masters as I said I was doing a work ex that was work experience but throughout that su summer which was the summer of the 2002 World Cup because of where the observer offices used to be on Farringdon Road and where my college was which is now the University of uh, London Art University of Arts it used to be the London Institute um, was right next to it I could still do my masters my thesis and he and sort of gave me a job 200 pound a week plus for research, plus anything that went in the paper, he'd, he'd uh, pay me like what's called lineage, I think it's called then, you know, per line. And that relationship basically went for two years. I got my first contract proper and, you know, that's kind of how I got started, really. That is absolutely fascinating to hear. I mean, I, I think that's got to be one of the most interesting origin stories for, for, for a journalist I think I've heard. That is, that is extremely impressive. Yeah. I've got to say, as it was happening to me, it actually felt 
like I was in a bit of a cheesy Hollywood movie. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, <laughs> it can't be happening, this, what's going on? But it actually was, it was quite surreal, but it was also a really, really exciting experience. Even now when I tell you the story, it's obviously not the first time I told the story, it still it seems almost quite strange it happened to me. But yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. So I, I caught a lucky break, but at the same time, I sort of made something of it, maybe. No, definitely. I mean, I, I can imagine that it must be still quite quite strange to hear to this day. And, you know, you've, you've built such an, an amazing career since then, you know, with, with, with all the stuff that you, that you do for The Guardian and The Observer. And one thing that we, we, we were very interested to find out as well was sort of the the highs and lows of the roles, because obviously there are so many highs being a sport journalist, but there can be some extremely extreme difficulties as well. I was wondering if you could touch on that. Yeah, I mean, what I would say, what I always say about being a sports writer is it's actually, it's, I actually think it's under, so it's, it maybe looks like an amazing job if you don't do it or you want to get into it. And, and that is correct, but it's actually until you actually do it, you don't realize quite how amazing and interesting it is. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I mean, so, so the, it's the highs, you name it, I've done, a, you know, I've done a couple of Olympics, World Cups, European Championship. I did the first 2020 Cricket World uh, Cup in South Africa. Done world title fights, boxing, and rugby internationals, uh, Ashes, uh, NFL stuff. Been at baseball games. I mean, it, there's nothing. There's nothing much I haven't really covered. Sort of made, you know, FA Cup finals, England, blah blah blah. I suppose the highs are just the fact that it's always exciting. I've been doing it, obviously, that was 2002. I've been doing it, what, 18 years? Um, still not boring. The more you get into it, the better and easier it becomes because you know more people and it becomes more exciting because of that. I mean, the lows, I'm not sure, really. I mean, sometimes it can be a bit difficult, um, you know, dealing with, you know, when, when you want to try and get a story and, and contacts go quiet who maybe before weren't quiet and, and you know they're going to not be quiet again in the future but that's, that's not really a low it's just part of the job um i suppose i'd more characterize there's been some difficult moments so ones that stand out i'm thinking about it now city played real madrid in the champions league when mancini was the manager away at their place Mourinho was the real madrid manager so it's 2013 maybe City looked like they were going to win this game. They ended up losing it 3-2. Ronaldo scored right at the end. I think Joe, Joe Hart made a mistake. But anyway, why it was difficult was, so it's, it's obviously a night game, kick-off at 8.15 8, or quarter to 8 at the, at the uh, Bernabeu, and there's no Wi-Fi signal. And you've got to basically, you know, for an even kick-off in Europe or, or any competition, you've got to basically, I don't know if, if you know how you do a match report, but you basically, at half-time you do half of, say it's 800 words, at half-time you do about 400, 450 words. Halfway through the second half, you do the, the second bit of maybe say the half of the second half and then at the end you do something called the top and maybe the tail which is the the, the intro to the match report and kind of the end so quite a long story short my wi-fi went down and i, I remember running down the steps of the burnabout which i've never been to before professionally or otherwise trying to get a wi-fi signal thinking i'm gonna you know i'm, I'm gonna miss the deadline not really my fault but at the same time it's not really you know the desk problem it's my job to make sure that doesn't happen and i've got out of it i got luckily i got some signal halfway down one of the flights of stairs in a file, but it's those sort of things that stick out. The similar thing happened at um, the San Siro a couple of times. It was what actually tell you, this wasn't that bad, but it was a little bit of a, United player played Southampton recently, Southampton did, they were winning 2-1, two, two and it's about the 95th minute, so already deadline is sort of over deadline, and the equalise, and it sort of completely changes the story, and then that, I don't know if you remember that game, but it was quite complicated, there's a lot to take, so, because Brandon Williams had gone off, 
and he'd already used his free slot Solskjaer for his substitute. He couldn't bring another person on, another substitute on, because, you know, so down to 10 men, so you had to put all this sort of stuff in and then I think Maguire marked the wrong person. So there's all this detail. So those are difficult things, but Lowe's is a bit, I wouldn't really say there'd be many, I can't really think of any Lowe's. It's just, you know, there's been some challenges, but um, if you like, if you like writing and you like sport, then I, you know, I think it's it, it's uh, something worth, you know, you, know, you like the, the idea of getting news and writing features and it's, it's definitely something that's worth aiming for. Sure, and like when, when you know, being a journalist, starting out from an early age, and then you sort of have to establish yourself to kind of where you are today. And that, as a journalist, you get to experience new things. And one of those new things that you experience being a journalist is now being an established author and novelist. Uh, one of your more you know well-known books at the moment being A Season in in the Red, which you know titles all of the uh, managers that um, you know that were after Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, how did you go about writing such a book? Right, so an agent, basically, it was the Louis Van Gaal tour, his first one, when he went to uh, California, Denver, and he ended up in, um, he ended up in uh, Detroit, or, that's, or it was in Detroit, anyway, I got, I got approached by an agent. Do you fancy doing a book um, on Moyes? Because basically Moyes had kind of bombed, um, you know, and that's why Van Gaal came in. And I said, well, okay, let's talk about it. And then I thought about it, I thought, maybe actually the story is more to do, not just Moyes, but Van Gaal, and the difficulty of following, following Ferguson. So that's how that happened. He was a guardian reader, the agent. He approached me. He basically went from there. And actually, we had a, a bit of problems. So yeah, it took a bit of time to place this book with a publishing house. Because the difference between non-fiction and novels, they also write novels in terms of getting a deal is, the non-fiction, um, you go to a publisher with an idea, maybe a sample chapter, um, maybe a couple of chapters, but basically, an idea, you know, you know. In this case, this is about this is going to be about post Ferguson United. How difficult you know it's going to be. Here's a sample chapter, and they take you up, take it all the way. Whereas a novel, they want to read the whole novel, but also with a novel, it's more difficult to get an agent. Anyway, that's a side issue. So, so it took us a little bit of time to, to get um, a uh, publisher, and then basically that happened. Got the deal January uh, 2015, which was quite late, um, because they wanted the hardback done by I think June and so I just I just um, wrote it in and I, you see I'd always wanted to be a writer of fiction and that's what I, I now do and what's, what I really you know it's a long-term aim I've got, really got a really good agent but I've never written anything non-fiction but I learned a heck of a lot through doing that book about how you just put a book together and I think so that was five years ago and since then obviously got the Solskjaer biography coming out uh, at the end of October but I worked it out the other day I've had I've published one novel that one there Nighttime cool, but I think that's what I've also written six more. So in five years, I think I've written two non-fiction books, and I, yeah, I'm about to finish my seventh, seventh novel. And one of the other other novels, uh, which is called Adventures in Love, I'm lucky enough to have a really good agent, and we're about to send it off to, to publishers. So, you know, to answer your question, that's how that happened. And it, it might seem a little bit daunting to, to write a book. Certainly, it did to me once, but it's just like anything. I can honestly promise you, the more you do something that easier it gets you learn it basically and now i'm gonna say i feel a little bit more in control of both and that, that was the other thing with the biography actually again i didn't really want to do this biography only because i wanted to concentrate on fiction but the more i thought about it the season of the red it wasn't really a biography of any of those managers more the story of their time at united whereas this social book is a biography of when he was born until now obviously 
you know, his sporting career as a player at United and manager is a massive part of that. But it is about him as a kid. And I thought, actually, when I read a good biography, I really, I really enjoy that. It would be a really good learning experience. So I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, let's wait and see how it goes. But, yeah, I mean, it, you know, it, it's been an interesting experience with Social Book because I'm, what I didn't really take into account too much was because he's obviously... You know, still, uh, still at the top of his kind of career. If you understand what I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it is based on United, and, and when they weren't doing so well, that affects how you write the story. You know, write his biography. And so again, it, it's a different experience. But again, it's. A, I don't know if you two are interested in writing books, but I, I'd recommend it if you were. I'd j- just go for it, really. Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting avenue for for any journalist to kind of go go down. And like writing is a massive part of being a journalist, of writing articles and different newspaper, you know, in, in different newspapers. So, w- with writing books, it's it's a very interesting avenue for for you to go down, especially if you're going into fiction as well. It could be just a you know a really big passion. Uh, you mentioned you know the the Ole biography, the Red Apprentice, that is on pre order now anywhere that you can go and buy your books from. Um, so. What was so enticing about Ole that you wanted to? Well, not not really wanting, but uh, you know that you wanted to focus this book on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Well, because actually, a couple of things. First of all, there's never been there are some books about him, but not really. I would call a proper in-depth biography. Um, and actually, he's got a very interesting story. Um, obviously, people know the Champions League winner, winning goal. But the fact that he'd gone into United, and, and, it, and also in a sort of way, it's a continuation of the Paul Ferguson thing. You know, he started off really well. He thought, is he actually going to solve kind of a lot of these issues that United have? And, and you know, now it looks like he, he's he's making a fair go of it. And that's how it was when he first went in there. So that appealed to me. But there's just something. When I started to look at, when I started to consider, look at look at your story. I thought actually, this this is. You know, his, his dad was an interesting, or is an interesting man in terms of you know the career he had. It, you know, it, Norwegian football is quite interesting. It's an interesting tradition. There's actually quite a strong link between Norway and, and here to do with trade. Um, and so I actually just dawned on me that you know this this could be anything you want it to be. And that's kind of why I like writing books because it's up to you. You drive it a lot. It's very yeah, very much in control. Um, we've got a really good, really good. Um, Publisher Simon and Schuster. I don't know if you've heard of Simon and Schuster, but it's obviously a major, you know, worldwide publisher. Um, and also, you know, I've got to be honest, the money for it that was offered, I was very surprised um, how much it was. I thought it'd be a decent chunk, but it was it was it was more than I thought. And I thought, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with earning a bit of money out of this as well. But the main thing was, yeah, I want to learn how to write a biography. So having come through this, I now yeah, I don't know anything everything about it, but. I now have a really, really good idea of, of how to go about that. I just love writing, basically. So, that, you know, it's just, it's just another thing I could write. It comes with the passion of being a journalist, I guess. And whilst writing this book, have you, or did you have any, like, kind of close contact with Ollie whilst, whilst you were writing it? Or Question. So, basically, when, when, you, when you do biographies, there's two ways, often, or two main ways. You can be authorised, as in the subject takes part, and, you know, contributes, or non-authorised. But non-authorised doesn't necessarily mean that the subject isn't happy, it's not happy about it, it just means that he's not going to contribute. So I, I approached him via his, via his sort of management, and, and he, he said no, but no thank you, but he, I did get a message saying that 
you know, we good luck with it. We give you a blessing, in essence. And that really helped because what that meant was when you when you sort of contacted people who were basically his friends or former teammates, not always, but often they say, "Oh, does he does he know you're doing this?" And I could say yes. You know, he's given me his blessing. He, 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 here's the sort of evidence. A couple of times that happened. So that you know that was kind of it. But I do have a bit struggle to have a relationship with him. But he knows who I am for the job. You know, we have sometimes we have you know the odd back and forth that's, that's quite um, friendly. So I think because of that, he maybe thought, okay, you know, I'll give this this uh, guy his blessing. I mean, you know, we, I still would have done the book without it, but it's, it's nice to have that. Um, so no, I, did, I haven't had any direct contact with, but he knows I'm doing it. I had to. T- I've toured United as well, so I'm in and out of their football club all the time. So it's a courtesy, you know, a bit like with the season in red. I told them then that I was doing that book as well. No, brilliant. And and, and would you say, I mean, just just quickly, just ending on that point there, um, from the interaction that you have had with Ollie, is he is he's, he always seems like such a nice guy in the media. He always seems very humble. Would you say he he kind of appears like that in real life as well? Yeah, one hundred percent. He is one hundred percent, and also. Best way to describe it is when I've talked to people from his past, or you know, you're still, you know, former teammates or players he's had at other clubs. It's almost not all of them. It's almost like most of them light up at them when they talk about him. He's had, a, he's made a lasting impression on them. Not changed the life, but had a, an influence, a positive influence on the life. I'm talking about players he's coached, particularly, you know, about the man he was. Forget about the manager, which you know they're also complimentary about. And I think so. I think what you see, what you see is what you get, but. I've looked carefully at what you get because he's a nice guy, but he's not stupid. As in, you know, he's a pushover. He's got a bit of steel about him. You know, he he was in that team with Roy Keane, Ferdinand, Van Nistelrooy, proper superstar team, and he held his own. I know he wasn't always first choice, but he was top scorer his first season. You know, he scored enough goals considering he didn't always start. You know, Ferguson really rated him. You know, he he had something about. He brought something to that team which which, which was vital over a number of years. You don't do that unless, you know, you've got not only talent, but you've got something up here. And part of what you had up there was the ability at the time, especially got a little bit old. I'm not talking when he first went there, but let's say uh, mid to late 20s, to start to think, wait a minute, I'm at Manchester United. Look at all these amazing players. Some of them you know, I've just mentioned. Look at his manager, who's basically the genius of, of, sort of British football management. I might want to be a coach, or I, I'm starting to think I want to be a coach. And he started to take all this stuff in. And that's one of the things that came back a lot. And when he when he has been struggling at United, one of the things I was thinking was, well, I know he's got to do it when it counts on match day. But everything I hear about him is, you know, more more than I kind of gathered and say about David Moyes, for example, he just had a little bit of an X factor potentially to be able to, you know, because it's so difficult being a manager, especially at Manchester United. I mean, it really is. It feels all sorts of reasons. Only the very best can pull it off. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think I think he is kind of, he is what you see, what you get. But I'm not saying you think this, but what you see is not only a nice guy. I think I think what you see is a guy who's very intelligent. If you look at Ferguson, if you look at Mourinho, if you look at Wenger, he is pomp. All of them, Van Hal and his, but they're all they're all intelligent men. Forget about football, just intelligent people. And you know, he's definitely got that, which is you have to have. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I imagine a club of United's calibre, I mean, you, you, I'm sure you have to have, you know, not only the intelligence of the football of the game, but also the, you know, the nerve as well, because the whole world is watching you. You know, it's one of the biggest clubs in the world. 100%. I mean, you know, yeah, I could give you lots of examples, but one of the things I thought was a, was a, a tiny 
little bit of a good sign was when when United got third against Leicester, he was like, yeah, okay. Basically, he didn't say these words, but this is basically the bare minimum we really wanted. I'm looking at the bigger picture. This is not, we're only just starting here. You, you know, you've got to have that, that attitude. But, you know, very easy for people when they were struggling to say, oh, mini Ferguson or this, that and the other. There's nothing wrong with having learned, uh, learned under Ferguson, you know, as long as you're your own man. Uh, but I thought that was quite Ferguson-esque, the idea that what third to us, we Manchester United. You know, we were just sort of starting. And this year, for league thing is interesting. Excuse me. I'll be at the semi-final uh, on Sunday, isn't it, in Germany. I'm going to fly out there. Um, you know, let, let's say they go on to win that. I'm not saying they will, but they'll be happy with that. A trophy in his first place, that, 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 that's great. But it, he knows all he wants is, is, a, is a title. You know, that's, that, he knows that that's what you know, you've got to do at United, you know, the 21st title. Whether he can do it, I don't know. But it's, you know, it's interesting this Sancho thing. I think he, he knows that he needs at least two of the major players to have any sort of chance because it's death at Liverpool and City. You know, you don't need me to tell you this sort of thing. But, you know, so he, I think he, what's been, you know, having done that book and having spoken to people at the club, they recognise actually the most basic thing, which is, which is quite, which is very difficult for them, but it's the most important thing. It's been wrong there until, until last summer, which has been the recruitment. The buying of players has been awful. You know, Fernandes is the best player uh, your club, United, has bought. He's Van Persie. That's what seven years ago. I mean, Pogba, you could have an argument about. He's a very good player. Yeah, I rate him. But, you know, but what I'm saying is, is the track record's been awful, but they recognise that now. But what, what part of recognising that is actually when they, when they recruit Solskjaer, they actually got the manager right. You know, because we didn't get it right with Moyes, no way. Van Gaal, passive best. Mourinho, the same. You know what I mean? And this guy, you looked at it and you thought, well, it's a bit, you know, a bit raw, it's all potential, but it, it seems to have pulled it off. And because they pulled that off, a bit like Ferguson saying when he went to Aberdeen or when he was first started off, that's, you know, become what he became. You know, suddenly you can see then, then the right players follow. But let's wait and see what happens. I mean, football is very interesting, um, very interesting sport you know, to get right at the top level. Definitely, that it is. I can 100% agree with that. I think Reese would be the, be the same agreement. We have... Uh... You know, football is one of the most interesting sports to uh, to watch, just from what's on the pitch and what's happening all around. And uh, one of the things which we do find ourselves in at the moment, obviously, with the current situation all over the world, there are no fans in stadiums, but there are still journalists going to report on games. Um, Jamie, we just wanted to uh, get a bit of a word from you about what the situation is like when you go to report on a game when there's no fans about. Is the atmosphere different? And what are the kind of precautions you have to take before entering the stadium? You've got a city or United as I have all the time, or when I go to the stadium in Toronto and see the semi final. You, know, you rock up, you, you've, got your, you've got your pass, um, there's, walk, there's like a sort of route you walk, you know, it's, it's City United from the car park to the, and then, then you go you go in, you get your temperature check, you're masked up, temperature check, washing hands, there's lots of uh, washing hands, you know, clean hands, cleaning hands stations. When you sit in the press seats, you know, whereas, I don't know, you, you might be six of you in a row, there's two of you in a row, kind of, you know, metaphorically speaking, miles apart, um, and that's, it's all spaced out. It's interesting that the atmosphere is obviously completely different, I mean, you know, but what I did notice was that the biggest game that I've done since this has happened has been the City game against Real on, on a Friday, yeah, so obviously, you know, it's Real Madrid, and it's at the Etihad, and I'm thinking this is going to be weird, but 
it was noticeable. I, mean, I wrote a couple of words about this in my match report. It was noticeable actually that, that the noise was ramped up. There was only about 400 people in there, but mainly all the city. But it was actually there was a, a, an edge, a, an electric atmosphere. So that was that was that was you know this what this what I said about sports room. That was something I not experienced before. Something I sort of learned even with three or four hundred people. If it's a proper football match, then again, Zidane's, you know, Real Madrid against, you know, Manchester City or Pep Guardiola, fall on it, then you only need a few people and you can feel that tension. So on the one hand, yes, it's actually it's a little bit flat, but for that game, wow, I could really, really feel it, you know, and I've obviously seen a heck of a lot of football games. Um, you know, so, so it's very clean, it's probably the cleanest arena or environment you're going to be in because it's so, I think the players, I can't remember, I don't think they still are, but we're certainly getting tested two or three times a, a week. It's interesting, there was some positive tests at the start, as you'd imagine, and that, that's kind of gone away. You don't really hear about, obviously, if you're like these Scottish footballers who go to bars and the Aberdeen players, where they, you know, you're breaking the rules. But um, over there, the uh, Europa League, the UEFA rules that players and technical staff can't leave the hotel. You know, other people can. Um, you know, it's very safe and very sort of hygienic, basically. Whether they can go to a thing where, you know, it's just Old Trafford 75,000 seaters, you know, can you fill that you know, by a fifth, you know, just a fifth full with the distances? Is that logistically, are you able to pull that off? I think that's what they're looking at, that kind of thing. I don't know, fifth isn't necessarily the proportion, that was an example, but, you know, but, you know, some sort of proportion, it might be a tenth, where, you know, is that where they're going to go? Because you have to get fans back in there somehow, but at the same time, not, not if it's not safe. So, again, it's an interesting sort of experience they've done this. I'll be honest, when we first went to lockdown, I, if, if you had to ask me, will reporters be allowed to go and watch it? I didn't think written press necessarily would. I thought rights holders, you know, people who pay for it, you know, the Sky, etc. would, by definition. I wasn't too sure if we'd let the writers in. So it was refreshing we did let us in. Uh, but oh yeah, just one, one little point to this. So for the Europa League, I should have, done, I should have been in um, Germany for yesterday's game, but UEFA, because of the restrictions, only allowed nine... Uh, written passes so it was done by a sort of a choice so while we didn't get in yesterday we will do on, on Sunday but that's another example of how careful they are well I mean it, it, it is so you know strange to, to, to this whole situation I mean, we, we watch it so frequently on the screen and, and it, obviously BT and Sky they have the you know you can have the choice you can have the, the match noise or you can have the, the added crowd noise I mean I, I, I don't know you know which one I prefer really I kind of just go 50-50, I think it depends on the mood. <laughs> um, yeah, it is, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is very strange at the moment watching the, watching the games kind of as they are. Um, but one thing, we, uh, another thing we did want to touch on, go through some of the uh, transfers which uh, have been going around and, and rumoured to be going around with Manchester United. There are two outs at the moment, which I'm aware of. Obviously, the Alexis Sanchez deal got sorted to Inter Milan. And we also saw Angel Gomez depart to Lille, and then I think he's gone straight out on loan. And I don't know about you, Jamie, but I, I was quite shocked to see Gomez leave. I, I was a bit of, it was a bit of a shame for me. Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't know if you know you're even interested, but I'm not actually a fan of United or City. I'm like what I always say is a lapsed Forest fan. I'm not from there, but when I was about eight or nine, they were doing really well. That's the result I look for. So the Gomez thing, I can understand that you know, he's homegrown, and you know, my wife is a United fan. I've got a lot of friends who are. So, well, I tell you what I found odd about that was not that he left us, sorry, but I thought it would be disrespectful, but he went to Lille. If it's me, and obviously it's not me, I'd rather hang with Manchester United you know, than go to Lille. Let's, let's see how it goes. If I'm good enough, I'm going to get a chance. And if I'm not, well, you know, I don't know, I would have left it a little bit longer. I understand he made his debut, I think, when he was 16. Was he, what is he now? Is he 20? He's 19 now. 
expectation. He's still a, a baby, really, in terms of you know professional football. Apart, you know, unless you're Phil Foden or whatever or Sane. So I was a bit surprised, but then I was he went to Lille. But then I was surprised he then went to Boa Vista. And again, I don't want to be disrespectful, but he's basically gone to a team which isn't doing particularly well in the Portuguese league. But then maybe, maybe you could, I'm being naive, and you can look at the way and you say, and, and it's actually fair play to him. He's gone off. He's done Sancho on his own in his own regard, you know, going off to Dortmund, leaving City. He's gone to Lille, gone out on loan. He's just thinking, you know what? I don't give a what's it. I just want to play football. If you need another pen shirt, bring it on. So, so I, I can see it that way as well. You know, fair play to the lad. If he's going to be, I, I kind of do sort of believe in the same cream rises to the top and whatever it is, whether it's football, cricket, you know, uh, school teaching, whatever you want to call it. I think in the end, those who have got the best ability find a way to get up there. And so let, let's wait and see. You know, um, uh, Sanchez, probably the weirdest. A, is it, the, is it United's worst ever deal? It's got to be one of them. I mean, I know you're going to say it's kind of... A, Transfer or swap for Mkhitaryan, but the wages were phenomenal. Basically, half a million or whatever it was. That's It was just weird watching it. Just looked like he couldn't play football for Manchester United. You know, you yeah. know, I've been at Barcelona or Arsenal. You know, he scored the odd old okay goal, and but you just looked at him and thought, I think what it was like. It was like the personification of the weirdest game of football I've ever seen live, which was United losing at the at Olympiacos under Moyes. You lost two 0 I think it was. Uh, last 16, and I couldn't believe what I've seen. Like, you know, Van Persie was played that night, Ashley Young, the Gaia, you know, Rooney might have played it. They couldn't control it, they couldn't pass it. It's just, you're sitting there thinking, am I actually seeing this? And that's kind of what Sanchez is like on an individual level. It's like, this guy couldn't play for, for my son's under eight team. I mean, I exaggerate a little bit, but that's what it was, that's what it felt like, you know. And I think it kind of puzzled the people there. I think it puzzled. Uh, Mourinho, obviously, signed. I think it's Puzzle Solskjaer. Um, I, I, I'll be honest, I'm surprised that um, we've got, got the, a deal that, you know, the Italian club, uh, Inter, we've gone to, because I'm just thinking, well, I don't know, has he really done that well over there? But anyway, I mean, I mean, this kind of relates to one of the, one of the many sort of positive, strong, difficult things Solskjaer has done, which is kind of clear out all these players who weren't, you know, got, got, weren't taking the club anywhere, you know. Um, we could go through some other names. Um, you know, uh, Lukaku, we can spam some things out, actually, I don't think. You know, so, it'd be interesting to see who else leaves. I mean, there are some candidates. Yeah, and with with uh, you know, the, the ones that have con- been, you know, been confirmed to leave to those that Oli are potentially waiting to leave and you know we'll go through maybe like three and you know, individuals that could be out the door soon enough because they as you say aren't really taking United anywhere and the first one is someone that's you know I'm renowned for disliking here on the Average Pundits podcast and I've had a few things to say about this man because he acts like a 19 year old when he's actually nearing the twilight of his career and that's uh I want to get your opinion on uh Jesse Lingard get, uh, getting the boot out of the door well um I think he's got something about him. I think about four years ago, but if you score the FA Cup winner, you must have something about Barrio. I think he's lost his way a little bit. I think the club, yes, are, are, are willing to listen to offers. It's football, you don't know. He might he might not leave for whatever reason. He does have a contract, but at the same time, he's not got long left on it. I think it's a year. They've got a year option they can trigger, but they haven't done that. Um, that's your opinion. You know, you. you, you it's your football club, you can, you can think what you like about players that. 
I, I wouldn't necessarily say he acts like a 19-year-old, but I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just... <laughs> um, I think he... I think maybe he's had his chance, so it's not like he can't play good enough, but is, is he even at the moment in, in the best 18? May, may, you know, with there being seven subs. Maybe he does just about scrape into that sometimes, but I don't know. It, it feels like his ship has sailed. Um, and if Sancho comes, I just don't see... I mean, he hadn't scored a goal in the Premier League before the one at Leicester since, you know, the very first game under Solskjaer. The game in Cardiff, I went to 5-1, wasn't it? Uh, December 2018. That's not great, really, for a forward. It's, but, you know, I can remember doing stories about England youth teams and speaking to coaches, and the name that used to come up would be Lingard at that time, you know, crumbs what a player he is, basically, in training and getting, you know, he was a football player. And I, I don't know, he's a bit of an enigma, really. Inconsistent. In the end, you have to be consistent. I just don't think Solskjaer can rely on him. But where, where does he get in that team, especially if Sancho arrives? I just don't see it. I mean, do you? I don't see where he gets in the team. I don't really see if you, if you know, if you, if you're going to Liverpool, for example, or if you, you know, wherever you've got Real Madrid, does he get on the bench? I mean, he might do, but it's it's touch and go. So, yeah, I, it could go either way, just because you never know with transfers. But I, you know, I certainly won't be surprised if they do sell him. A man that we could potentially see back at United, I would be surprised if he was out the door because of how well he has been performing out in Italy this season. Oh. And uh, yeah, Chris Smalling, uh, what, what are your thoughts on a potential out for Chris Smalling and whether he should stay at United? Uh, what I'm told is, is it's up to him. So that, that he can stay, but you know, obviously if he wants to leave, that, that's his decision. So I've got to be honest, I've been surprised at that because he always seems a little bit ponderous on the ball. But then if you actually look at what they've got, what they're trying to buy, you know, prioritise positions, money, budget. Centre-back, you're pretty thin on the ground. I personally really like uh, Bae, yeah? But can he stay fit? I think he's a bit faster than than Lindelof and Maguire. You know, that's what you laugh at. That's my big criticism of those two as a pairing sometimes. Uh, Bournemouth, for example, I can give you loads, but Bournemouth got at them. Stanislav's along on their left, this game in the lockdown at Old Trafford. Uh, Lindelof can be turned. But then beyond Bailly, who, as I say, can't even rely on him to stay fit, who have you got? I don't, you know, unless it is someone like a, a Smalling. Is it Trent Zerbi? Is he going to stay fit? Not sure, really. Uh, Jones, oh, I'm not sure either. So I think that, that might be the... No one's told me this, is just my opinion, but I think that's the thinking on, yeah, he can stay. You know, he, it's up to him kind of thing. Um I'll be honest, I haven't really, I know he's done well over there, but I'm not, is it, isn't it Serie A? And I, maybe, I'm, maybe this is a, uh, you know, uh, maybe this is a stereotype that's now, now wrong, but, but isn't it a bit slower than the Premier League? And I think that, oh, this morning, the amount of times I've seen him try to, it just doesn't look a good enough footballer, but anyway, it, it seems like he, 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 if he wants it, he will be there next season, that's what I'm told. I mean, with centre-backs in the, in the Premier League at the moment, you do have a lot more to do with your feet, you know, with passing out from the back as well. And I think that's kind of where Chris Smalling lacks and that's probably what Oli doesn't really see in him, to be fair. But um, moving on to the, to the last player, you know, in this list of potential outings for, for United it is um, someone that's, uh, again, going back to the point about Lingard, not really being like, you know, the guy to take United forward in, you know, the future. And that is the Brazilian international Andreas Pereira. So what what, what do you think his future is with, with the club? Question, because he, he got, he's had a fair, a fair run in the first team. You know, you know, sort of when Oli first came in and, Maybe before Fernandez came, but I, 
my reading of it, and no, no one has, has said this to me. I wouldn't be surprised if he was sold off. Listen, I don't know if, if he is, if he would listen to offers, but I think if you look at, I don't know, what, for a start, what's his best position? I mean, is it central midfield? Well, you know. Well, honestly, it could be anywhere, couldn't it? I mean, he's had so many runs. A little bit, a little bit puzzling, isn't it? And I'll put it this way if it's a choice between Lingard and Pereira, I'd go Lingard all day long. You know, I just think he's a better player. And so if I'm, if I'm basically being told that, you know, don't listen to offers, then I, why would you not prepare it unless it's something to do with the profile of the player, different parts of it, you know, he's younger, he's got more time on his contract, he's not, he's not paid as much, uh, he may be, you know, maybe think he's, he's got a different kind of role, but I don't think he's good enough for Manchester United, you know, being very quiet about this, he's obviously a heck of a footballer to be there, to play for, of course he is, but I don't think where Ollie wants to play. You know, one of the things I do often is, quite a simple exercise, I'm sure everyone does, is how many of a team's player gets in, Teams players, players get him to stay Liverpool's team or City. That's a good way I think of. Does Pereira get anywhere near the sort of thing? I don't think so. City, for example, you know what I mean. You know, do, do, does 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 Greenwood get into City's team? I think he might do. You know, head against head to say Jesus. There's an argument there, and it, you know, because he's only been going a season. You know what I mean? So if you look at Pereira, I won't see it really. That's the level. You know, that's the level you've got to think about. Absolutely, basically, you need. Within reason, world-class players, not for every position, but most of them. And I think, you know, if you look at Liverpool, what United will hope to do, it's not easy, is to maybe pull an Andy Robertson out of the bag. You know, someone who cost Kima, was it seven and a half, eight million? From, uh, was it Holly, was that? Was it? Holly, yeah. Yeah, um, and look at him now, he's like one of their best attacking players, never mind defenders. So that's what I think, I think what they're going to try and do is going to obviously go to Sancho, get a centre-back, of a profile of, when I, of a sort of Ake kind of player stroke budget. I'm not saying, I don't think that's, that's what they should do. I think they should go for Koulibaly, for example, someone who's, you know, just looks mustard properly. Uh, and then try and pick up maybe one other player, and it's going to be a left back uh, holding the field. I'm not too sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, long winded answer, but I don't think Pereira really fits into where he wants to take them. Yeah, I, mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, he's he's somebody who's who's been he, Pereira. I'm talking about here. But he, he's had loans out of United as well a couple of times to the BBVA. So and he's been all the way through our, our youth setup and everything. He's had the chances. I I think now would be a good time to see him um, maybe moving on and bring in some people, which we're going to talk about just now. And, and obviously, uh, any football podcast to talk with transfers, we we cannot not touch on Jaden Sancho and today especially. Dortmund of you know the sporting director has come out and he's made some pretty adamant comments, which I think has got a few United fans shaking in their boots. Uh, do you know much about the situation? What he's saying? I don't. I know a little bit. I'm not saying I'm I'm embedded with the floor, of course not. But um, I think United saw this sort of comment coming. Yeah, what he said yesterday. He got formed for saying a previous thing about Dembele. I don't know if he picked up on this. 2017, he was asked by a German Develt, is he going anywhere? Is it, no way, and then he went to Barcelona about five weeks later. I think it says it's going to be exactly the same, but I'm just saying there was a track record there. Um, I thought it was interesting about this deadline that was reported sort of over there, you know, yesterday. Notice he didn't say that yesterday, did he? You know, he didn't say, well, we had a, he didn't even mention it. You know, if you're going to sort of say there's no way he's going anywhere, blah, blah, blah. If he's sitting there at all, and he wants the best price, what else is he going to say? He can't sit there. And it's the same on the United side. You know, so I can't sit there and say, oh, you know, we try to get a good price. We can't, we just have to say either nothing or next to nothing. Um, 
So let's wait and see. I'm not, I'm not sort of being uh, purposely ambivalent, but it honestly could go either way. But I don't think United are too concerned. If United want to push the button, basically, on a hundred, they, they would never admit this, you know, to me or to you or to anyone. But if they wanted to push the button on what Dortmund are asking, they could do. But there is a thing where United and City, you know, maybe Real Madrid, but any of these top clubs, there's an extra premium because it's United. So let's add 10 to 10. And you can argue all day long whether that matters because the Manchester United, you obviously can afford the extra 10%. But if you start adding it up over players, I can see where they're coming from. My own thinking is that it will happen. Um, I think it's still, you know, it's still really, really, really is on. Um, and what might happen is, a bit like Fernandez actually, you actually look at the Fernandez deal, he huffed in the puff, there's all this stuff going on, and in the end, both sides came out of it, basically had to say the deal that they always wanted, you know, they got. So I think what might happen is, he might go for, in the end, a deal that is worth 120 million euros, but let's say 20 or 30 of that will be add-ons which are pretty down the road, which United probably, you know, you have to win a couple of Champions Leagues or something, you know, which is very difficult for any club to do, or the Premier League. Um, you know, United can then say, well, actually, we've only... You know, another thing is, I think the United want to play, play and say, let's say three installments or whatever it might be, 30 million euros. Yeah, it doesn't really matter the amount, but installments. Dortmund want a lump sum. After me, it's a red herring. I think in the end, you know, United will, will, will meet them somewhere in the middle for that. Um, but let's wait and see. I mean, it, it is interesting. I don't know if you saw today the Dortmund players, Vitzel, uh, Emre, Kat, Chan. Maybe one of one. We're all talking about. Is it great staying? But to be honest, what else are they going to say? I think there was a. I'm not sure about it. But it looked like there was a press day there. It wasn't like, you know, the, you know, the, what else are going to be asked about? They're going to sit there and say, oh, well, actually, we don't believe our director of football. You know, he's got his way. Of course, they're going to say that. But I wouldn't take too much notice of that. Um, what I like about it, let's say it doesn't happen. I think it will. But what I like about it is actually showing proper ambition for United. These are the sort of players United. Or, or City or whoever should always, you know, it really should be going for, you know, not a Bastian Schweinsteiger or Di Maria or what's there, you know, a player like this who is only 20. So, you know, I I, I think it'd be a massive disappointment because I don't think we're going to get any anywhere near winning the league next season or the one after without a player like that. But he isn't the only solution. I think you do need one proper centre-back, maybe two. I'm not so sure about the left-back position, to be honest. I like Williams, but I'm not so sure about Shaw. Is he really Robertson's standard? You know, you know what I mean? Is he, is he going to fly down fly down the wing and create chances as well? I don't know. I don't know. Um, so there's a long way to go. And I think, but I think there is some credence in this idea that, that the pandemic has affected... I mean, obviously, it's affected everyone monetarily. And I think the United are in that. But they do have a bit of money. And they've got an Adidas deal a, a summer. Sorry, a, Adidas kit deal, uh, 70 million a summer for 10 years, I think in the third year of that. You know, that's not their only source of revenue. Let's wait and see. Yeah, I, th I think, you know, that, and the Dortmund sporting director, he does like to play these games. I think he said it about Bamiang as well. You know, he's, he always plans to keep right, things. Right, yeah. I forgot about that one, you're right. Yeah, and I, 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 I think it's, it's all tactical, and I, I, I think... United fans need to just sit back and just, just let whatever happens happen. I, I, I personally think we'll see him in the United shirt this season. And you touched on also potentially the signing of a centre-back. And as a United fan, for me, I've seen lots of centre-backs come to the club now. You know, I've seen, it's since like, post-Ferguson. Um, we've had, obviously, like, like Marcus Rojo, Bailly, you know, Maguire's come in. And then 
Jones and Smalling have stuck around as well. And there's obviously Twan Zebi, who's still promising, but there's injury issues there as well. This season, I, I personally think we need another centre-back. Um, one of the names that we happened to see earlier was Pau Torres of, of, of Villarreal. Um, not too familiar with his game, but I know that he, he's quite a highly touted young, young centre-back. Um, a Pau Torres type, or potentially there's also that Gabriel, who's kind of around the headlines as well. I was wondering if you knew any information about those two characters. Well, typically, but that, when I said to you about a profile of sort of like an Ake, that's kind of what I meant. Someone who isn't already... You know, like an A-list centre back, but you know what I mean, like an established 28, 29 year old. Um, because I think I think they got money for a Sancho, and then yeah, someone like the profile of these players. Um, you know, that's what they tried to do with Bayi, and I think for me, Bayi was a, he's probably the best centre back they bought apart from the two you've got, apart from the injuries. You know what I mean? Which is obviously a big caveat. But I think I think he can do it, especially at that position. Um, this is where they've got. This is where. You know, the scouting, the investing, the football expertise is where he's got to actually earn a bit earn a bit of money. You know what I mean? Just sort of pull a rabbit out of the hat. I think, I think you can do it every sort of three or four years. Um, you'll probably end up with at least two United. And I think he will be a centre-back. If you get a third player, of, you know, it might be a left-back or... I don't know, really, holding the two. I think they'd be delighted. But I think two, two is minimum. It's interesting that after the Leicester game, he said, you know, the club know what I want. I don't know if you saw this point. I couldn't know what I want. Let's see uh, where, where it takes me. Because I think he's conscious that in the club are, that, that really they need two or three at least to have any chance of challenging Liverpool. And I can't remember. What, what was it? What was the deficit for Liverpool? 32 points, was it? Was it, that? it was, yeah, it was, it was something I, like that. You know, it was out of this world. I mean, it's just, just really that. Um, yeah. But the only thing about that is Liverpool... Two seasons ago, weren't they 25 behind City when they got 100 points? So you can't, you know, in the following season, you're only a point behind. You know, so it, it, it can be done. Um, I, if it's me, obviously it's not me, I would just be thinking, you know what, he's got third, we're after Sancho. I know there's been a pandemic, but I think we can really afford it. Let's just go for it this summer because the momentum's there, there's a feel good. Third just sounds better than fourth, you've got to bridge this gap. Why not just, you know, we've got Champions League, there, there's another, I don't know, best part of 100 million, let's just go for it, you know, but I don't, I'm not so sure they're going to do, they're going to go all out. Yeah, well, certainly it is all to see. We have, you know, the rest of the transfer window to come and hopefully we will see a few of these players come into Manchester United. But Jamie, thank you so much for being on this week's episode of the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. More than welcome. Thank you very much. And obviously, guys, we will link Jamie's uh, social media in, in the comment section below if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you want to get involved with us, you can find us on Twitter at Pundits Average, on Instagram at The Average Pundits, and you can get a hold of us from our business email at theaveragepundits at outlook.com. Reese, as always, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, again, thank you for having me as always. It's, it was great to pick the mind of a very established journalist uh, you know, as, as Jamie. So uh, thank you very much to Jamie for that. And if you'd like to go and pick up The Red Apprentice, do pre-order it now uh, and read all about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his life. Excellent, guys. So thank you very much and we will see you next time.